So having this dream of this large table where everyone can be there and that there's enough for everyone is actually possible. It is possible in many ways. We see it in scripture again and again and again that the five loaves and five fish fed so many. And all that just really means is if we just bring all the gifts that we have to the table, all of our own bread, all of our own peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, all of, you know, there may be nut allergies, whatever it may be. If we bring it to the table, there's enough. If we have the courage to be like a kindergartner and share. Wellness is a civil right. And long before we were looking at how people of color were unintentionally left out of the wellness community, Reverend Amani O'Lear was illuminating the fact that supposed healing environments were severely lacking access and subsequently were the cause for the very thing they were out to heal. Amani is a healer. She's a spiritual activist. And she advocates for people to know what they may view as their deep brokenness may be, in fact, their deepest gift. Like she shares in this episode, your misery is your ministry, and you can't escape your calling. She teaches us there is no peace without peace within. Amani is a Lutheran pastor residing in Rochester, New York. She recently planted her own church called Sankofa, which encourages people of color to explore their ancestral roots. Sankofa is the idea of returning to your past. It is a place to learn from. It is a place to build on. It is a place to claim the gems of our past. Sankofa ensures legacy and it is also an act of resistance. It is a place to bear witness to ourselves. Amani is someone that I aspire to be. She's a person that I call to remember who I am and to keep going. She is the founder of Yoga for a Good Hood, a nonprofit dedicated to the education and empowerment of people of color and communities that are living in poverty in order to realize their full potential through the transformative wisdom and practice of yoga, meditation, trainings, and nutrition. Amani is also the founder and owner of True Yoga Rochester and a self-proclaimed ambassador of love. In this episode, Amani shares her journey from stripper to pastor to beloved teacher. We talk through the significance of the analogy of breaking bread, basic human rights, and how to live the yes and life as opposed to the common default, either or, this or that. You're listening to This Human Experience Podcast, hosted by me, Ali Nunzi. Welcome to a tender-hearted conversation with spiritual leaders and community innovators from around the world about understanding what shapes and drives people's way of being in the world every day by diving deep into their human experience, their behaviors, interactions, routines, rituals, beliefs, and perspectives. We believe once we understand people's human experience, Empathy is created and true listening begins to happen. Through empathy and listening, tolerance is replaced with compassion, acceptance, and the understanding that everything belongs. Each of us belongs at the table. Your human experience belongs. My human experience belongs. Thank you so much for tuning in. Enjoy. Just take a deep breath in. Feel your lungs fill up and empty out. 
as we let that breath connect us all, that common thread. We ask that the one that looks over us all be a light unto our feet and a guide unto our paths. And as we walk along that path, may we greet each other with the heart that is filled with compassion and love and the ability to just share in just a moment's time great love. It is in the one that cares and loves for us all that we pray. Ashe, Amen, Shanti Shanti. Amani, I am so happy to be here with you. The listeners don't know that I'm looking at your face right now as we record this. My question is, what shapes you? What makes you you? Will you tell us, please, because you're just the freaking most interesting person I know, the most interesting friend that I have? Well, first of all, I like deep bow and gratitude uh, for being here with you. I am, I'm cheesing also. That's what people can't see. Like that's that grin from (laughs) ear to ear, like a Chester cat. Um, So I am grateful. Um, I always start off, um, particularly more recently, is invoking my ancestors because what I find, that's what makes me. And so um, I am the daughter of Connie and I am the granddaughter of Marion. I am the great-granddaughter of her mother, uh, Carrie. And then because of Luetta, my grand, um, on my paternal side, um, and her mother, Emma, And then to go into Lula and Mariah, which are my second and third grandmothers. So that's my matriarchal line that I, um, that formed me, um, that raised me, that gave me collard greens, um, killed chickens in the backyard, um, (laughs) you know, um, but also who um, encouraged me to live as authentically as I could in each and every moment when I look back on that. Raised in Columbus, Ohio, um, by my grandparents primarily because my mother uh, struggled through mental illness um, most of her life. Um, Well, actually all of my life, right? Since I was two, I I, um, started hearing the stories later on that around my age of two, her mental illness came full uh, circle. And I am the daughter of this incredible Baba, uh, Baba Lewis, or sometimes Akua. So he changed his name to Akua, which means sweet messenger man. So that probably tells you the type of father I had. Uh, <laughs> so that's that's a legacy. Um, yes, it's a legacy. Um, I, I didn't get the cool that cool Akua messenger name. My name means faith. Um, and um, my second name is Nedhari, which means faith in the vision. Oh my God. Oh, yeah. Well, knowing what I know of you and about you and being with you, that's could not be more accurate and telling. <laughs> really? Yeah. So cool. So, Amani, um, will you share? a little bit about your profession. <laughs> I, I, you know, I always chuckle with that because I go, which one? Um, but, um, <laughs> so my, um, well, it's all a full-time gig, I guess, if we think of it that way, but I am the senior pastor in the evangelical Lutheran church in America at a congregation, um, here in Rochester, New York. Um, the cold place, as I like to call it. And I am also the founder of a nonprofit called Yoga for a Good Hood, which is geared towards serving persons of color and persons in poverty to discover their yogic practice in many ways. 
and um, the owner of a yoga studio in town, uh, the little studio that could call it true. Uh, yeah. That seems lots of free time. Lots of free time. And um, <laughs> the little side hustle that I don't know if, well, you may have started seeing it, but um, I'm starting my own church. Um, so I'm in the process of that work uh, right now. Um, not like the church of Amani, because that'd be weird. But like, <laughs> like um, it's uh, called Sankofa. And Sankofa in Andinkra and Ghana means to go back and fetch it. And there are persons that, um, that are jewels that have been left behind that the church has um, been terrible towards. And so my hope is to be a place where that doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit more. So Sankofa um, kind of started um, during, um, I'm a part of beautiful people called Free the People Rochester, which is a, a group of organizers uh, for the Black Lives Matter movement here. And like they are on the ground for everything. Um, my role isn't always to put the gas mask on and be there in the midst of things. My role um, that they've identified me as is the healer, um, which gives me great pause, I guess, to say. And one time after a healing circle, um, when the Brianna Taylor uh, verdict uh, came in, we all gathered around inside of true yoga. And cause I have this lovely like bar there and we had a couple of bottles of wine and we just had like real talk, like real talk of what is, what isn't. And like, what does our community need for healing and what kind of place would that be? And so we just started dreaming of Sankofa and I put it to paper. I submitted it to our organizing body of the Lutheran church and they approved it, <laughs> like, which is like, ooh. Um, so um, that's the beginning of it, but it's primarily towards the healing um, legacy around and, you know, our ancestral lineage. Um, what uh, Dr. DeGroy calls post-traumatic slave syndrome. Also looking at the LGBTQIA community, particularly Black trans um, in our community that are being harmed um, in many ways. And so we want to be a place of refuge. Amazing. And I know that's um, just so your work with Yoga for a Good Hood. I know that's who you've you've been. And so one of the things I, I had planned on asking you was about, um, you know, recently I've been in this conversation around calling and, um, and so I had no idea that you were going to share that. I also, because this project is new, I haven't, I think it's probably been like a, a month or so since we've talked last and so much has, has changed because you're a person of creation and and listening, which is what I want um, the folks, the listeners to leave these conversations with, um, you know, it's you're the the yogi pastor. How did that happen? Yeah. How did that how did that happen? Well, you know, so like. Like around 11, I found a book. Of BKS Yangar, and it kind of took right now. My grandmother said, "You won't do it," <laughs> and nothing fuels me more in my personality <laughs> than telling me not to do something. Uh huh. I know that's right. Right? Like it. It was. It. It became like. Um, do you remember the book Wifey by Judy Bloom? Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like that taboo book. I like like so. My BKS Yangar light on yoga book essentially became like wifey to me. Like I would hide it underneath my mattress. Um, and there was something stirring and I had no idea why, right? That was like 11 years old. And I weaved in and out. And in the weaving in and out, one thing that I never saw was 
droves of people of color beside me. Um, and it was like nothing that we talked about. And, and particularly in the church, I used to be a part of the Missionary Baptist Church. Um, and particularly in Black church, yoga is the devil, right? It can lead you astray. It can um, make you lose touch with your Jesus. And um, it has been the opposite for me. And particularly because of all the trauma that we experience in the cells of our bodies, Yoga for a Good Hood started naturally forming um, when I met a woman named Bernie. That's what we'll call her. Bernie was an active heroin addict and would come to my church. Um, and she came in in a pretty rough way one day. And she said, um, can you give me some food? I said, yeah, I can give you some food. You gonna come in and sit down and talk right? And she, you know, we're like, and that's, that was our relationship. And um, she was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we went in, I made her a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And in the, you know, and when you break bread, something very powerful happens. And um, I would say, all right, put the sandwich down for a minute. And she go, what? I just put it down for a minute. And that was my way to teach her to catch her breath versus palling it in. Mm -hmm. And so Bernie is the reason why in a peanut butter jelly sandwich to create space for persons of color, persons suffering through economic struggle that can't make it to a $20 drop-in yoga class, right? Um, when I did my TED talk, I said, it's a civil right, like wellness. That's what it is. And so this became my civil rights work is to give people a space to breathe. Amazing. And you do that in so many ways. That's my, it's always my hope. Yeah. Well, pre-yoga, what had you, um, what had you get up there on that pulpit? What, what is the, the faith calling or the, the background, you know, and, um, for the listeners at home, it's one of the ways that Amani and I, that we intersect is that I actually um, found my faith through yoga, which is kind of hilarious because the whole society and culture wants to tell you that it's, it'll take you away from it, but it actually, it allowed me to realize that it was an em embodied and doing embodied practice, which is why I've sustained yoga as a practice for so long. And I, and I know that there's not, and you're not everybody listening to this is a yoga person. You don't have to be. Um, so I'm curious if you'll just share a bit about your, your faith work and how you came to be a pastor. Kicking and screaming. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, um, so I'm uh, an ex-stripper, um, ex-drug dealer, um, ex-drug dealer girl. <laughs> um, I like hustle. Like that was like trying to hustle to make things work. Um, and I weaved myself into this nest of not thinking God would want me for anything. Um, if there was someone good looking, whatever you look like, like you're looking pretty good today. I'm going <laughs> to hang out with you. I was also that girl. Um, drinking um, beyond comprehension on a given day. And each and every one of those times when I tried to make myself um, worse to not be used because this call has been on my life since I was a little girl. Like I just knew it. And the ways in which I connect with spirit, universe, God, however you want to define it, it was always there. And I, one woman said to me, which made me start stripping, <laughs> that she said, your misery is going to be your ministry. Right? Your heartbreak is going to be your ministry. And mm -hmm. I was like, nope, no, it won't. 
I'm not doing ministry. Guess what I'm going to do? And twerk, twerk, twerk happens. <laughs> right. And, and sure as the day is long, my pastor, because I'm not also a smart stripper. I was stripping like literally a block away from my church. And I drove a mm. 197 powder blue Ford LTD. You can't miss it. And my pastor <laughs> called me on it, right? Like he says, some of us got our feet in places that they don't need to be in. I was like, oh. right? And that type of moment, or when a bullet went through my back window of that same car, God was always like going, baby, I'm trying to work with you here. You have so much that I want to utilize you for. And I was like, there is nothing good in me, God. There isn't. I'm a victim of sexual assault. No, that you can't use me. My mother has mental illness. No, you can't use me. Maybe I got mental illness. You can't use me, right? Um, and so I went to seminary to appease God, to just get a degree in theological studies. And then I became Lutheran. And here I am in what Lenny Duncan, Reverend Lenny Duncan, calls the whitest denomination in the United States. And I'm a nappy-headed colored girl, as my grandfather used to say. As a Black woman, heavily modified with tattoos and piercings. Single mother of two children at the time that I got the call. And I'm in this church. And even when people have told me to hide all that, right? Because that may not get you a call. I just tell it again. I told you, don't tell me I can't do something. Another thing we have in common. <laughs> Amen. And Ashe. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, it's so beautiful. You know, that's one of the things that I just want everyone to know is that, you know, no matter how broken we think we are or we try to be, you cannot turn away from a calling on your life. And that listening to that and trusting it, that's what faith is. Mm -hmm. Gosh, we've so many bastardized ways that we wouldn't we think about faith or, you know, we collapse it with religion or what we're supposed to look like, how we're supposed to act or, you know, it's so ingrained and so complex and it really is that simple. Mm -hmm. And, and I know that for myself because I'll complicate the crap out of it. You know, like I'm the one that makes it complicated. And then I have to remember like, hey, just listen just listen really is, is what we're here to do. And then listen for what is there to do now? You know, and I look at a person like you, Amani, and I, you, you know, you have three full-time jobs and probably 12 part-time gigs, you know, to support all that the, all the folks that you have to support. And you it's not um, because we're friends. I know that you experience exhaustion and, and I know that there's burnout and, and it comes with the territory. What is the thing that, that restores you and keeps you moving forward, keeps you marching forward? Well, also what people can't see also is, um, so to my um, right is um, images of my ancestors, and an altar to them, um, a place where I just sit and ask questions, clarity, and just get really still there. And behind me is a larger altar space of like a refreshing of words that move me, um, rocks that I picked up from someplace. For that hold a memory like that, that ref 
refreshes me. Um, what also I am finding is to also truly stop sometimes. And that has been an act of resistance, right? Like Audre Lorde talks about, right, that self-care. And so, oh, particularly over the past mm, two to three months, even with everything going on, I stop. I just stop. Like, or now I, I even like have a trainer who beat up my arms today. Um, <laughs> but that's a stop from the work and like moving away from it because there is misery and there's joy. I don't want anyone to like think that calling is all misery, uh, but that mm. um, there is the misery can like suck you in and tear you apart and you won't, you won't know where you begin or end. So I just stop now. So beautiful and, and such wonderful I don't know if it's advice so much as it's it's a learning, but I look at so many friends that I have or people that have are in networks or communities that I belong to, and they just burn themselves out. Um, you know whether they're the morality police or they really you know, and it's it's this dance of listening and knowing what there is for me to do now is the way that I have it. And I just watch people go right quick to burn out because there is so much work to be done and it might not ever occur in our lifetime, you know, which is the whole bitch of it all. Yeah. And it doesn't excuse me from doing what there is for me to do. Yeah. Yeah. And you're a person that teaches me that all the time. Uh, I think you have a deep inner wisdom that you don't give yourself credit for, my friend. <laughs> You're too kind. Well, thank you. But it's because of people like you. I mean, really. We'll be right back to the second part of this episode. Our second daughter and this podcast are not the only things I've been birthing. I want to tell you about the official launch of the Nunzi Consulting Group. I am personally out to prove that you can grow your bottom line by building happy, productive, high-performing teams. You have to care about your people if you want to be a leader in your industry. I'm bringing forward all of my failures, the lessons and golden nuggets from my experience in creating my own small businesses, running nonprofits, and facilitating people development trainings so that you can scale your impact in the ever-changing modern world. If you've got a calling to start a business and don't know where to begin, if you own a business or organization and you're interested in innovating any aspect of it, from profitability to productivity, if you're yearning to be a part of a supportive network of thought leaders in various industries that will elevate your purpose, connect with us via nunziconsulting.com. Let's work together and show the world that we can disrupt business as usual and that you can actually enjoy your work and make a difference at the very same time. You are listening to This Human Experience with Ali Nunzi. Now enjoy the second half of our episode. I want to be intentional with this conversation because what people don't need is a reminder of how messed up this year has been. And though, um, as much as I want to blame the year, uh, it has nothing to do with the numerology of the year. Rather, I see that technologies have, um, it's not so much that they've been exposed, but we can no longer ch choose to ignore realities that have been around since the existence of humans. 
you know, we're, we're not really that great of people. We're, we're, we're tribal by nature and that creates all kinds of the things that are happening. And, and we're a witness, not only we're, we're a witness and a participant in them now. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, this really is a year of reckoning and it's been all the things that it's been. And one thing that I'm clinging to is, oh, thank God. You know, like there has to be, and I'm not minimizing the folks that have died this year, whether pandemic related or um, that they experienced some type of brutality and have perished. You know, not minimizing that, but looking from a larger perspective of humanity were we ever going to change if 2020 had not happened? Which really, this this marker in time, I have it as an amalgam of who we've been for thousands of years. Um, and so I know that you are at home in Rochester right now, and Rochester, is an un- it's been unfortunately on the map for... Um, police brutality. And I was just curious if you would share um, a bit about that. What is it like to be in Rochester this year? And what is the work being done? And um, what do we need to know about it? Yes, what um, put us on the map map, uh, was the unfortunate uh, killing and death of Daniel Prude. Daniel Prude was in a mental health crisis. He had no clothes on and it was snowing outside and compassion wasn't offered to him. That's the nutshell. There was no compassion. There was, whether he, you know, the, the, what we were told is that um, they thought he may have had COVID so that's why they didn't really engage and why they use certain tactics. Well, what that um, activated here was a deep rage of years of systematic policing that has happened in many communities. And so persons like Ashley uh, Gant. Stanley Martin, Stevie Vargas, and um, Aman Abid, um, along with Daniel Ponder and Rena Oshun, they all hit the ground running, as well as Avis Reese. They hit the ground. And then you started seeing um, one of our leaders of the Black trans community um, brother Adrian, all came out and started rallying people around to the place where this man died. And it was the amount of lament that I saw in people's faces um, and rage. Like, like lament shows up, whether it's tears of grief, of why again? to a rage that I have never like seen um, before. Um, And even a rage within myself to the point of no regard for my physical self any longer. Um, And that was an interesting place and particularly serving an all-white congregation that has, and not because they're white, like because we've done some work on anti-racism within our context, but to see resistance from people that you've loved through their own trauma mm-hmm. say to you, you're wrong. There's no racism. The police did nothing wrong. You're taking this too far. Don't you dare say that ever again. Again, don't tell me what I can't do. Um, To 
um, people protesting me in my pulpit. And so that time for me, because I'm, you know, okay, yeah, I'm a fighter, but I'm not a big, like, I'm not going to go out there and like go toe to toe with a police officer, like kind of thing. So my role became more in the morning, bringing coffee to people that were out all night. And at 7 a.m., this is how I knew that the system had a a deeper problem. 7 a.m., people sleeping in tents. The police kettleballed us. They sent tear gas in, ran people out. And I looked and I had my clergy gear on. um, And I turned and I just looked at them. I said, can you just stop? Like you're running them right into this fire. Can I just move the fire pit that was keeping them warm? And you could see this moment of humanity of them also operating in a system that they were trained in. And they just nodded to me. And so I moved the fire pit. And so like my work as a a healer in this community, hopefully heals some of that, helps heal the years of pain, of abuse, uh, heal in everything in between. Mm -hmm. That's my role. And, you know, I was afraid of it at first. Because I'm like, again, who am I? But I believe that this, it's important that it's coming undone. Mm -hmm. It's important that we're having these conversations. It's important that you see anguish. The dukkha, like in, in the, in the, um, in the, um, the Sanskrit dukkha means suffering. But you can't have sukha, you can't have ease if you don't go through the suffering. Yeah. So, you know, I'm thinking about our listeners and the the diverse listening, that the, the pre-existing listening. And where, you know, we're living in a country, uh, those of us that are in the U.S., that there's a belief system and we have it that this is the way that it is. So for example, you were sharing about your white church members being like, okay, well, you listen to my trauma and now I'm I'm blocking out yours. You know, what I'm interested in is how do we, um, I don't know, like what's coming across, this is not the accurate term, but it's like, how do we reach across the aisle? How do we, how do we begin to even nudge the gap? Um, not closed, but closer together in that experience. And um, one thing as you're talking, Amani, that sticks out to me is I'm thinking about one of my teachers, Ram Das, would say suffering is grace. And as you're speaking and sharing of your own story, I know that, (laughs) I know for my own self in hindsight, I had to have gone through all, I mean, listen, I could write many novels about it, but the suffering in my own life to there be some kind of um, reckoning, to to have some kind of new way, you know? So as you're talking about, you were sharing about your own experience, and now we're talking about a collective experience. What I want to give everyone that's listening is, or really just the inquiry of how do we lift up, you know, because when we're eye to, it's necessary that we get eye to eye with it. And though we've also got to lift up and consider the bigger, fuller picture. And, you know, so folks have said to me, you know, like, um, 
they don't agree with the Black Lives Matter movement, and here's their their testimony on why. And um, or you know, I've whether it's people that I love that are protesting that um, I've had conversations to to su- to support people in, in their understanding of um, you know I come from a white family who will say things like. Um, yeah, but I just, I don't get the the, the looting and the rioting. Right. I don't get that. You know, like, why do you have to break stuff? Why do you, you know, all that. And from my understanding of psychology and humanity, it's like, well, you can only take so much. Yeah. You know, when there's not listening. So I say that because if you're listening and you've got yourself, your blood pressure slightly elevated, the invitation here is to just be with this conversation and that's it to be with it. Um, you know what I was, as you were talking, I started thinking of in Les Mis and the song comes on. I am not a singer, so I am sorry for what you're about to hear, <laughs> but they go drink with me right? Of days gone by, right? And there was a camaraderie that was right at the moment when things were crushing down upon the community. There were different sides and viewpoints that were happening. But what started happening between these characters, through a drink, through a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Yeah, I was just going to say that, peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Something happens if we can just for a moment, I don't care. Like we all, my trainer says, we can do anything for an hour. Anything. And then, you know, when I'm like, I can't do it more and I can't do it anymore. She goes, we got five more minutes. You can do anything for five more minutes. And when things get difficult and hard, I think one of the things that we're called into, maybe that's why Christ gave us this body and blood to share in, right? To do this in remembrance of me, right? Like we break the bread, we drink from the cup together. If we share table in many ways, we then begin to see things a little differently, right? We, we, even if we don't agree, and that's okay. People do not, like, I agree, I understand and the ideas around looting, you know, but Dr. Martin Luther King said that the voice of the rioter is the voice of those who have not been heard. And so sometimes if you, if you have a child or a pet, or someone that like throws themselves down because you are not paying attention to them. It just happens. But then it softens. And that's what's happened in Rochester to the point where I can have conversations with the police accountability board. But we have to get past the difficulty. And that's, that's one of our shortcomings here right? We are either or in our thinking. If we can create a both and in our Western way of seeing things, oh, how beautiful that could be. Like my husband, who's my husband's white, for those who may not know, um, comes from Kendall, which is a small town. He cut cabbages out. Like he that was his job, he, cabbage farm. Uh, <laughs> so that's what I'm working with, <laughs> city girl, <laughs> right? But we found love, right? In the midst of very difficult lived experience, he's military. I was protesting wars, right? But we have found love. And we found it sitting at a high table at Tappan Mallet, having a drink <laughs> and some French fries. Yeah. Yes. Yes. You know, and that's how the gap begins to get smaller. Yeah. 
Like I remember I was thinking about, you know, I'm always thinking of Ray. <laughs> He's my love. Who is my too. husband for the, oh, yes. the listeners out there. Yes, Ray is my husband. And and how I know Amani. And we were at a training together. And I was distraught and heartbroken. And Ray sent love to my eyes and held it there. And it broke. It, well, it broke me down a little bit too, but <laughs> it, um, I was like, oh my God, why is this man sending me love? Oh my gosh. Right. But, uh, and it was authentic. It wasn't to get something. It was just in support of the common human experience. And he, that, that was the start of this love thing that we had. Yeah. In fact, I I remember that it was um it snowed in the desert. You you were in Sedona <laughs> in like late it, anyway, it doesn't snow there. There was this freak snowstorm and Ray was not going to go and he signed up like a couple days to go to this it's a, it was a yoga training and he texted me on his break and he said I think I met your soulmate she's here you know and he was like this you need to know this woman I haven't really got to to talk to her yet and we're going to be really good friends with her and and next thing I know you got in a car and drove from Rochester to southern New Jersey and and now here we are yeah. um, and I'm so grateful for the way that God works and bringing the correct people together. Yes. Just the notion of breaking bread and how, you know, we can identify socially, whether it be race, religion, nationality, geographical location, socioeconomic, you know, all the ways in which we identify. And that's all well and fine and to be celebrated. And though if we're not careful, it's it's the very thing that divides us. But there's this act of breaking bread together that um, I know that we uphold in our family. Like that, that's a thing. Just get around the table, piss at each other, get around the table, share a meal. Um, you want to get to know someone, let's cook them dinner. Let's invite them over. So there's this universal language that's just oozing with love, really, even if you're in a fight, this you don't like this person or this, you know, whatever, you've got some kind of bias around them. I have found dozens of times where it's, I don't know of a time where there's been the breaking of bread, whether literally or proverbially, <laughs> proverbially, you know, that word, um, that I didn't leave changed or I didn't leave um, thinking there's something that allows me to connect to this person. And it, um, you know, like what I'm edging to say is like, I don't have to agree with the whole person, but then logically I'm like, oh no, I'm actually connecting with the whole person versus just picking out parts that I don't particularly care for. You know, and, and I just really believe that one of our greatest spiritual assignments mm-hmm. is to love unconditionally. Oh, amen, and amen. where I'm not doing that, I better get to work and start making some PBJs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you um, know the movie Babette's Feast? Yes. <laughs> yes, I do. Right. She goes into this. They, they're eating terrible food. And she comes in and she just brings in like the quails and all the things, right? And like joy happens in that that breaking of the bread. And, And humanity happens, right? We hunger, we thirst. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we can see that across the table, right? Like your husband... That day when we came to your place, like that bread, oh my gosh. <laughs> like I like I still dream of that bread. And I'm not supposed to eat gluten. I ain't care. <laughs> it was that good. Right. And so so listeners out there, uh, my husband is an amazing bread baker 
uh, he's a hobbyist though, and I'm always trying to make it his full time gig, but he he don't like that too much. But it's good, right? Like in in the love that takes and like when people eat around the table, like they see your love. And so maybe if we just get a big old table and sit everybody around it and create Babette's feast, right? Mm. And we are eating and wiping slobber off the side of our faces. And there's enough for everyone that we can see these divides are just silly, trivial things that can be healed with love, but also justice, right? Like uh, my shirt that I have on is, um, justice is what love looks like in public. There is um, a biblical saying, which you probably know what it is. I don't really know what it is off the top of my head, but it comes from a, a, a hymn that I love. And it just says, there will always be a place for you at my table. Return to me. And what when I hear that and I, I contemplate on that, there's, um, you know, one of the most repeated biblical phrases is remember. And it's twofold, right? To, to remember, remember what we are, remember how human we are. And then remember, I am a member. You are a member. We need to remember, we need to remember up around the table. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, like what I want to leave this leave our listeners with Amani is when you find yourself elevated, angered, um, you put your palm up and, or you start to shut people out, especially people that are different than you believe different than you just get out the, I don't know. What is it? Jiffy Jiff, get out the peanut butter people, you know? Um, and it really could be that simple. And that is, from my perspective, it'll heal the world. Peanut butter. Peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> it's peanut butter jelly time, people. Well, Amani, thank you so much. I love you. I love you. Dearly. And I'm going to look forward to many, many years of working with you and learning from you. Likewise, my friend. Thank you for listening to this episode and being a part of this important conversation. I hope it has you spreading more compassion, acceptance, and understanding throughout your community. If you enjoyed this conversation, hit the subscribe button, write us a review, or share it with a friend, and connect with me on Instagram, at Ali Nunzi. Share what you learned and loved about this episode on your social media accounts and tag me. New episodes drop every other Wednesday, wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.